12, Matthew. Um, Let me remind us of our topic, then we'll get into the text. We're going down our list of scriptures, looking at Jesus and conflict, where today um, we finished the 11th chapter, the passage we're looking at last week. So we start 12-1 today. Uh, Let me take you back to our beginning discussion. What, you know, well, let me start here. If you are obsessively conflict avoidant, and during the season of Lent, we deal with our obsessions, we deal with um, our preoccupation, we deal with things that run our life more than God runs our life. If you're obsessive with conflict avoidance, uh, you know, you have to avoid conflict at all costs. You know, you'll, 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 you'll go down the wrong aisle in the grocery store to avoid conflict. If you're, if you're organizing your life by avoiding conflict, that's hard to be a Christ follower. You're going to see Jesus. Jesus teaches us how uh, to not be aggressive, not be passive, but be assertive. So we're back to, again, don't want to be conflict avoidant. So then you decide, how do you deal with conflict? Well, you don't. You don't live your life being passive, let everybody walk all over you, and you just ignore it. You don't do your life, you don't, you don't live your life being aggressive, blowing off the handle and, you know, almost murdering people. You know, you, you, you need to get somewhere in the middle and learn how to be assertive. Um, that's the way Jesus lived. You're going to see that. So that, that's a reminder of the whole topic. Um, we're in 12.1. Uh, let me remind you that before chapter 12, you had chapter 11. These, these numbers are not in the original text. We placed them in a thousand years later when we realized how much time we were losing trying to find passages in the Bible. So we did add numbers eventually, um, and, and, and the numbers are very helpful. But you do need to notice, for instance, look at verse 30, where we ended at last week. Look at verse 30 of chapter 11. And we had the discussion last week about the yoke. Remember? And he ended up with all this, come to me, all you are heavy laden and labor. He ends with verse 30, for my yoke is what? And my burden is light. Remember what I talked about last week when I said in in rabbinic literature, in Jesus' world, in the biblical world, that yoke, the word yoke, which we talked about what it is, that wooden harness on oxen, the yoke frequently symbolized what in the Jewish world? The Torah, the law, the rabbinic teaching. So Jesus is saying, come to me, my yoke is easy compared to those rabbis' yokes, Pharisees. We actually don't have an official order of rabbi yet in the New Testament period. Some people are called rabbi because it just means teacher. But Pharisees, religious leaders. He's saying, my yoke is easy compared to them. So... He ends with, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Doesn't mean it doesn't require a lot of work, but he's talking in comparison to the yoke that the Pharisees were trying to place on people. The yoke that Jesus places on you is different and easier. By the way, those of you in historic churches, um, people just know what they know. You see some of us, those of us that are presbyters in the life of the church, elders, we wear a stole on Sunday morning. In formal worship, guess what that symbolizes? A yoke. That's why in the Catholic tradition, we're not this formal, but in the Catholic tradition, they would actually kiss their stole before they put it on. 
because you are reaccepting the yoke of Christ. When I walk out and preach, teach, lead worship, yeah, I'm reaccepting the yoke of Christ. So, just guess what Jesus is getting ready to do. He just told you his yoke is easy. Not, not without work, but compared to what the Pharisees are saying you have to do. Compared to the way of the Pharisees, my yoke is easy. So guess what he's going to do in chapter 12. He's going to give you two wonderful examples as how the yoke of the Pharisees that they tried to lay on the people was both not easy and actually wrong. So, and this, and, and, and this conflict of yokes, the yoke of Christ, the way of Christ, Christ controlling over against the Pharisees and legalism and the law controlling, is that clash, you're going to see right here, that leads to the crucifixion of Christ. Um, because the Pharisees, you know, they were convinced they had the authority to tell you what yoke you had to assume, and they described the yoke to you, and they gave you the conditions of the yoke. Um, they, they were legalist. And one of the things that's very clear in the New Testament, you not, need to kind of understand what legalism is. We love laws, we love rituals, we love rules. Jesus never condemned those things. But, and you're going to see it illustrated here, a legalist is someone who's more concerned about keeping the letter of the law than even the spirit of the law. For instance, Sabbath. Yeah, the law says seventh day. We're not under ceremonial laws anymore. We keep the moral Sabbath. We still Sabbath. We change the day. Now, of course, the Jewish community are still, they're still confused about what we did. You know, how can you change? The Ten Commandments says keep the Sabbath, and we say we do, and they say, no, you don't. Well, we say we just moved it by about 24 hours from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. We're keeping the spirit of the law. What is the spirit of the law of Sabbath? Because Sabbath is going to play big time in here. What is the moral law of Sabbath? Well, when you learn to Sabbath, and it is a learned behavior, when you stop, the word Sabbath means to cease. Cease striving. Hopefully you know how to Sabbath and you do it on a regular basis. Well, guess what Sabbath was meant to be for the Jewish people? And that's why it's common in Judaism. They will say something like, we don't keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath keeps us. And the point of the Sabbath, morally speaking, spiritually speaking, spirit of the law, is that you need to learn how to stop because when you stop, guess what? The world goes on without you. You know, the sun still rises, the moon still comes, the world goes on without you. You're not as necessary and needed as you think you are. You know, I remember when I was new in the ministry, I'd go on vacation, and it used to offend me. I'd come back, and they didn't miss me as much as I want them to miss me <laughs> while I'm gone. Well, the Sabbath teaches us. Because think about when the Sabbath was given. They're on their way into the land of promise that God has given them. But you know the story. There's Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, all those other ites in the land. They have to go in and do battle. Then after they go in and do battle in the land of, of Canaan, they have to establish a culture, create a, a civilization. They have to establish a society. Now you talk about a task. That's a task. And God says, take one day out of seven off. Do nothing. 
I mean, my personality said, God, you don't understand my to-do list. And if I don't pay attention to my to-do list, the world will come crashing down around me. And God responds and says, you're, you're, you're not as necessary as you think you are. So Sabbath, the spirituality of Sabbath is God's in control. God's, God's running the universe. You aren't. Uh, like one of our bishops said back in the 30s, whose brother became the Coca-Cola magnet, but that's a different story. Bishop Candler said, you know, God needs you, but not very much. I mean, yeah, he's got tasks for us to do, but it'll get done even if you don't do it. God will find someone else to do it. So Sabbath teaches you to rest in God, to trust God, to realize the world doesn't function because of you. Um, and you notice also the Sabbath was not just given to those on the top of the socioeconomic ladder. Everybody equally should have the gift of Sabbath. So those are the spiritual reality of Sabbath. Now, legalists say, well, let me just pick on these people for a little while. Seventh-day Adventists, good people, good people. I know they used to, they may have stopped because they've been trying to move a little bit more mainstream Christian. But the last time I was in a Seventh-day Adventist church, because they keep, they keep Sabbath, we don't, they say. So they'll put in their bulletin, like this Sunday for next week, Sundown on Friday occurs at 7.06 p.m. Sunrise on Saturday occurs. Because they, they want to keep Sabbath. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it does kind of head toward legalism. Um, you know, spiritually, the moral law says you can keep Sabbath, but that doesn't mean you stop at 7.06 and start back at 6.27 a.m. the next morning. You see the difference between legalism and keeping the spirit of the law? One of the conflicts that Jesus had, and you're going to see in this text, the one that really paved the way from a historical perspective to the cross, was his yoke, his way of keeping the law, his way of fulfilling the law. Even remember how he said, to, if you want to fulfill the law, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, the Pharisees came along. I'm sure I've told you about Shabbat elevators in Israel. You know what a Shabbat elevator is in Israel? I, learned, I got on one one time, and I became so glad I was a Gentile. The, the big hotel we use in Jerusalem is, is owned by Jews. It's a Jewish hotel, Israeli hotel. Um, so on Sabbath, one of the elevators, and it's like 12 stories, one of the elevators becomes a Shabbat elevator. And I got on one time by mistake. I've, I finally learned about Shabbat elevators. You get on it, it stops at every floor. You, don't, it, you, don't, you can't match a button. It stops on every floor automatically. The doors stay open for a, what feels like to me a very long period of time. Why? Because to keep the law means you can't strike a, fi a fire, which means you can't run an engine, which means you can't mash that button that somehow sends electricity to tell that elevator which floor you want. And the doors stay open a really long time because you don't want to start stepping out and those doors start closing. And you, you violate the Sabbath by pushing the doors back. Now, we laugh at that, but I've hung out with church people for 38 years. Some of you folks are as legalistic as those Pharisees. <laughs> I had a church one time that about went down the tubes because we decided to use 
uh, disposable plates and, 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 and utensils for a homecoming instead of the real good stuff. Yeah, they're, they're legalists all around. They're Pharisees all around. I got them in my family. I suspect you got them in your family. Um, you know, you got to do it a certain way. Now, if it means you die in the process, that's fine. But you got to do it a certain way. That's legalism. That's not the spirit of the law. You know, I mean, I had a hard time teaching Granny that we really could celebrate Christmas as a whole family two weeks in advance because the family had gotten to the age, all of the kids now had kids, now had grandkids. Well, guess what? Either we all get together two weeks before Christmas. If you tell us we got to come on Christmas Eve, some of us obviously can't come on Christmas Eve. But if you're legalistic about that, instead of keeping the spirit of the law, yeah, you just break yourself on that. So Jesus said, my yoke is easy. You know, it doesn't mean you don't have to work. Now he's going to compare it to the Pharisees. And he's going to give you two examples here. He's going to give you two examples where he enters, Jesus enters conflict. Because he's going to be assertive. He's not going to be passive. He's not going to be aggressive. Um, so chapter 1. Well, let me read the first example, then we'll look at it in the second example. Chapter 1, chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, by the way, don't lose sight. The Pharisees are in the cornfields. <laughs> you got legalists in your life, they will follow you around to make you sure you mess up. Yeah, these Pharisees are in the cornfield. Anyway, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read, I'm sure that was an insult to the Pharisees, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful. It was not lawful for him to eat. Uh, it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? They're not guilty. I tell you, now the world shook when he said this. I tell you something greater then the temple is here. Maybe you should, to get to point, maybe you can translate, I tell you, someone greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, and here he is quoting Bible to the Pharisees, uh, Hosea, uh, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. In verse 8, the world shakes again, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So do you notice what he's doing there? He's, his, his, his disciples are hungry. They um, start plucking heads of grain in a field to eat. They're hungry. And again, the Pharisees are following him. They're hanging out in cornfields. They, you know, we're getting close to the beginning of the cross, Passion Week. They're after Jesus. They want him to mess up. They're watching him to mess up. It reminds me of the district superintendent who started watching our live feed about two years before disaffiliation. Uh, and it, it blew her mind at the end of the worship service. And it was innocent. 
If you worship here, you know at the end of the worship service, we do church family time, announcements, prayer concerns. Well, in case you don't know, during the hymn, the live stream goes off. Because I don't want to mention prayer concerns all over the world. Is that used, so the, when I, that's how I learned the district superintendent was watching our worship services because she kept catching us violating the law. And she was real nervous about what I talked about when we turned off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like the fairs. They're in the cornfield. They, they want to trap Jesus so badly they're in the cornfield. Um, and the Pharisees saw it and they say, you, you, what you're doing is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Well, short answer is yes, it is. But you've got to understand the Pharisees. There's the law of Moses, 613 laws in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Some ceremonial, some civil, some moral. Now, the job of a Pharisee, and this is a good job. Anything taken to extreme can be bad. The job of a Pharisee, you know, when the Bible says you shall not work on the Sabbath. Well, what does work mean? How do you define work? Well, there comes the Pharisees. Uh, there's, there's one place in the Mishnah, which is some of their oral tradition. Pharise- the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees, Pharisees had oral traditions. The Mishnah, the Midrash, uh, becomes the Talmud, the Gemara. They had all these traditions. Because somebody has to define what work is. And that's why in one place, for instance, there's 39 definitions of work. And that's why you decide you can't mash a button on an elevator. Because somebody had to define work. Now, you know what, what the Hebrew Bible says is you cannot harvest your fields on the, on the Sabbath. You know, don't, make, don't you go enjoy your rest and make your servants keep harvesting your field on the Sabbath. Now, in a normal world, people, legalists sometimes don't even use common sense. Isn't there a difference between harvesting for profit and picking out grain because you're hungry? I would just look at it and say those aren't the same things. In, in Judaism, in the Old Testament, you left the fringes. You know this from the book of Ruth. You left the fringes um, for the poor to glean because they're hungry. So according to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the only Bible Jesus knew, he wasn't breaking the law. He was breaking the law as defined by the Pharisees. So notice what Jesus does. He quotes Bible to them. There are some preachers in Christendom that need to pay attention to how Jesus uses the Bible and use it occasionally. So what he says to them, have you not read, by the way, if he were in this world, he'd say, have you not read 1 Samuel chapter 21? Which again, that's pretty offensive, insulting to these Pharisees. Have you not read in 1 Samuel chapter 21 what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. If you go back to 1 Samuel 21, what you see happening there, David and some of his men are hungry. The, tape, the, the bread of the presence is 12 loaves of bread. If you go back to tabernacle and then temple, uh, for David it was tabernacle, there's, there's a table and once a week, 
12 loaves of bread would be baked and placed on the table there um, in the tabernacle. Why 12, by the way? 12 tribes, one for each tribe. It's baked and it's left there as sort of an offering to God. Now, here's the point. Next week, when 12 more loaves are baked, these are just symbolic loaves of bread. Next week, this is in the Bible, next week when 12 more loaves are baked, you put them there, well, guess what? That means you've got weak old bread now that you can eat. The priests get to eat it. Priests get it. That's part of the paying the priest. They get the old bread uh, when the new bread's put out. Well, David is not a priest. His people are not priests, his soldiers. So, in a sense, that would be violating the law. That's the way it's described. Twelve loaves, when the new loaves come, the priests there in the tabernacle or the temple get to eat the old loaves. Well, David and his men were hungry. So, Ahimelech who was the priest in 1 Samuel 21, said, guess what? Yeah, eat the bread. Feed your men. You know, God will will understand if you break the law by relieving human human hunger. So he he says that. The other one, the other next example he uses, uh, verse 5, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath. And they're not guilty. Some of us work on the Sabbath. I can't Sabbath on your Sabbath. I have to find out, I have to be able to Sabbath other times during the week because you won't let me Sabbath on your Sabbath. I'm busy. Same thing was true in the Hebrew Bible. The priest had to work on the Sabbath. And what, what Jesus has reminded them, don't you, haven't, you, haven't you read the Bible? Priests work on the Sabbath. And there's going to even come a point in John's Gospel when they're coming at Jesus for working on the Sabbath. He, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't use the example of priests who work on the Sabbath. And that God says, okay. He actually uses God. He tells the Pharisees, God never stops working. God works on the Sabbath. These Pharisees would have condemned God for working on the Sabbath. I mean, he brought the sun up on the Sabbath. He takes the moon, brings the moon up on the Sabbath. He keeps you breathing on the... Yeah, they would have gone after God. Their legalism was so tight. Yeah, they, they, you know, Jesus is pointing out to them, God can't even please you in the way you interpret the law. Um, So that's legalism. And we all have... Where legalism comes from in us... I know it does in me. When I feel myself getting legalistic, that's coming from my desire to control you or my kids or whoever. Yeah, when I, when I feel a need to just go after the people who break my laws, it's because I want to control them. They need to keep my laws. Um, yeah, so, so watch that legalistic spirit. That's not the spirit of Jesus. Anyway, he says, and part of what he's doing here, which he's, well, keep reading. He's going to quote Bible again. Or have you not read how the law, how in the law, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the, in quotations, profane, desecrate the Sabbath, but they're not guilty? I tell you, someone greater than the temple is here. Now, this is the really important stuff, but just bracket that out a minute. But then he quotes Bible again, Hosea, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, Again, context is important. Sacrifice does not mean sacrificing on behalf of others. What, what does he mean when he says sacrifice? 
ritual offerings. You know, offering stuff at the temple, ritual. Remember Jesus said, if you're bringing your offer, your offering, and you realize you got something against your brother, maybe you need to not worry about that offering right now and go, take, go, go deal with your brother. Anyways, that's what Hosea meant. I, he, he quotes God saying, I desire mercy more than I desire ritual sacrifice. So if you're on the way to the temple, good Samaritan, if you're on your way to the temple and you find someone in the ditch, don't say, well, I'm, I'm going to be late for church and keep going. <laughs> you know, I desire mercy, not the fulfillment of the rituals. Now, again, rituals are good. They keep us together. They remind us of important things. They help us function as a family. Jesus never condemns rituals. He never condemns the worship in the temple. He, what he condemns is taking those secondary things and making them primary. Yeah, going to church is, is really important. But yeah, don't bypass somebody in the ditch because you don't want to be late for worship. Um, don't let your religious observances cause you to live like the devil. And that happens. You know, C.S. Lewis, among many other people, have taught us the meanest people in the world are religious people. Because, you know, when I come at you and tell you how you need to do it, I think I've got God on my side, so we can really come tell you how to do it. And we, can, we end up being mean and vicious. And, you know, I, I'm sure it's in here somewhere... When you come to Christ, quit being a jerk. Um, you know, I don't understand. You know, that's the problem with the Pharisees. They were right, except they elaborated to make sure they stayed right. And then they started viewing their elaborations on the same level as Scripture. And Jesus had a problem with that. Um, yeah, he had a problem with that. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. And then verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What you really need to notice here, why can Jesus... You know, the Pharisees, but you know the answer. The Pharisees are in their mind are saying to Jesus, who do you think you are that you can tell us what is the true interpretation of the law? And what's Jesus sort of answering? I wrote it. <laughs> Don't tell me how to keep the Sabbath. I created it. These are two obvious statements of Jesus claiming divinity. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Well, who, who's Lord of the Sabbath in the Jew? God created it. He gave the law. Yeah, I'm not surprised they got him crucified. They went to get the Romans to get him crucified. I'm greater than the temple. What's the temple? Temple's where you go to try to meet God. Presence of God. The love of God, the forgiveness of God. You get all of that in the temple. Jesus is a walking, talking, portable temple. And he is the one who wrote the law. He's the one who created Shabbat, Sabbath. I understand why the Jewish community had a hard time accepting this. You know, give them a little grace. If I walked in this door right now and said, yo, by the way, that Bible, I wrote it, hopefully you'd get me put away. You don't have but two choices at that point. Either I'm right or I'm crazy. 
There's no third. Don't look at me and say, oh, he's a good teacher. I like his ethics. He's a lunatic. Again, of course, you probably recognize C.S. Lewis there. When you look at the claims of Jesus, he's either a liar or a lunatic, or he's who he says he is. Don't say, oh, he's a good, he's a smart teacher. He's up there with Buddha. Well, Buddha never said this kind of stuff. They'd have hung Buddha out. Yeah, he's claiming divinity for himself. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm greater than the temple. By the way, since you're in chapter 22, uh, he, he, he goes on and on. Look at verse 40. Look at verse, um, look at verse, four, look at verse 41 in, 20, in ch- still chapter 12. The men of, this is the story of, ne- of Jonah. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something, someone greater than Jonah is here. Keep going. The queen of Sheba will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she will come from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something, someone greater than Solomon is here. So in this one chapter, he says, I'm greater than Solomon. I'm greater than Jonah. I'm greater than the temple. I am Lord of the Sabbath. That's really what you need to notice here. That's why if you have a choice between Jesus and the way of Jesus and the way Jesus says do it and the way your grandmother said to do it, I'd choose Jesus. That's why he has the authority to be Lord. He's not only Lord of the Sabbath, he has the authority to be Lord over all. Yeah, he's not winning friends today with these Pharisees. Um, now, again, look at the second story. The first one is don't let your laws or your human traditions surrounding the laws keep you from feeding the hungry. Now he's going to say the same thing beginning at verse 9. Look at, look at verse 9 and following. Uh, now it's the healing of a withered hand. He went from there and he entered their synagogue. I don't know, don't want to make too much out of the word there, there. But he, does, he knows it doesn't say he went from there and entered all of their... I don't know if... The, we don't know if Matthew is saying by this point the division between Jesus and the religious leaders is getting so severe that the synagogue... He's not even, he's not even considering those synagogues his anymore. They just belong to the Pharisees. Their synagogue. You know, I've often... And it's been convicting for me. I've often wondered in church life, you know, we're so busy in church life. I've often wondered if the Holy Spirit packed up and left tomorrow, how long it'd be before we noticed. I think a lot of church life would just keep on happening. Yeah, so he may be saying, don't say, because it's just the word there. He didn't say our synagogue. He's Jewish. But he may be making a statement here, or at least Matthew's making a statement. He went on from there and he entered there, the Pharisees' synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, um, you know, sort of a deformed, withered hand. And they asked him, they're still trying to trap. I mean, I can see the Pharisees in synagogue. Still, they shouldn't have been in the cornfields. They really shouldn't have been in the cornfields. But they're following Jesus around, trying to trap Jesus. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? trying to catch Jesus between his convictions and the crowd. 
so that they might accuse him. And then, again, he quotes Scripture to them. We need to teach some Christian preachers this one. He quotes Scripture, verse 11. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into, the, into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Uh, farmers would build pits and put, like, straw over the top of it to catch predators or poachers. So sometimes their own animals, particularly dumb sheep, would fall in those pits because they weren't listening to the shepherd. Well, if a sheep falls into the pit or another place, if the, dicks, if the ox gets in the ditch, you can take it out on the Sabbath. Don't leave the ox, don't, don't leave the human being or the sheep in the pit or the ditch. The Bible says take it, go help it. You're not violating the law. Um, to do that. Um, verse 12, of how much more value is a man than sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, what the Pharisees were saying by Jesus' time is, you could, they would, because they interpreted that Old Testament law, you know, about the sheep and stuff. It was in their Bible, but they had added to it and they said, okay, it is lawful to heal as long as as it's a matter of life or death. Withered hand, you can do that the next day. So that's how the Pharisees would have looked at it. Yeah, you can heal if it's a matter of life or death. But yeah, something that can wait till Saturday um, or Sunday. Jesus, again, he knows the Hebrew Bible. He's quoting the Hebrew Bible at him. And again, he's just saying... What you've added, the way you've explained it, is your explanation, and God bless you for that, but that's not in the Bible. You, you can get your sheep out of the pit. And you don't have to sit here and think, well, is his life in danger? Just go ahead and get the sheep out of the pit or the ox out of the ditch. You know, again, don't let your observance of the law, which is a good thing, don't let that... Um, make you abuse animals or human beings. So then he, after he kind of preached to the Pharisees, he just looked at the man, verse 13, stretch out your hand. And the man was, and the man stretched out and it was restored healthy like the other. Now don't look at verse 14 yet. It should say, and everybody praised God, a healing took place, the man's hand had probably been withered since birth, isn't God good? That's not what happens. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. And at this point, how to destroy him. And they realize that they have to get Rome to help out. Um, so, um, good place to stop. Give me some... Con- I mean, this stuff's practical. You see him being assertive. Jesus doesn't throw what my grandma used to call a hissy fit when the Pharisees came after him. He was, he was direct. He was assertive. He was not passive. He didn't just walk away and avoid the conflict. He was not aggressive. He, he dealt with it. Um, yeah, there's a lot in this text. And, and these are some of the prevailing ideas in the Gospels. This, that's why there's so much of this. Yeah, Glenn. Mm. And so he basically started talking about what he called 
triage theology where you may have three levels of priority of mm -hmm. doctrinal beliefs. Number one priority would be Jesus is God, bodily resurrection, virgin birth. There's only one way to heaven. Those things you've got to agree on as Christians or you're mm -hmm. not Christian. Okay? And then second tier would be maybe differences in denominational beliefs. Mm -hmm. And then third tier may be things like, for example, end times yep. stuff. Yep. So as extended as triage example was, when you start taking tier two and three items and elevating them to tier one is where legalism starts to creep. Yep. But then the reverse of that is, when you see this happening in the Christian community, mm -hmm. you take tier one items and start devaluing them into tier two and three, mm -hmm. then you start drifting into liberalism mm -hmm. and even non-Christian beliefs. Mm -hmm. And part of that's control. Yeah, and part of that's there's there's Christians all over the church. They're more concerned about Jesus' second coming and not paying any attention to his first coming. Um, yeah, I'd pay some attention. It's, it's, it's both and, but you've got to keep. Augustine called them rightly ordered loves. If you go on the walk to Emmaus, the first talk you hear is about priorities. It's not rituals are good things. Jesus never condemns rituals. He never condemns law. But if you put it to that top tier, particularly if you put your interpretation of the law, like you can't mash a button on an elevator, on the top tier, you'll end up in a bad place. Um, yeah, we are such control freaks, we will even take the gift of faith and turn it into something it's not meant to be, just so we can control and harm other people. You know, part of what you see here, this is, a, this is a modern term. What you see here, you see in both these accounts, the Pharisees have weaponized, that's the word, the Pharisees have weaponized religion to go after Jesus. We can weaponize a lot of things. Yeah, I can weaponize my eschatology. And particularly in, in, when I was working on my doctoral program I did a lot with eschatology I bet I own more commentaries in the book of Revelation than anybody in this city because, but the point was how does your eschatology affect your Christian living or even more important how does your eschatology destroy the mission of the church you got to make it practical at some point but I know some people that take their eschatology and they weaponize it to go after people and almost harm people yeah
dad was working with someone, the store had been historically open on Sundays for a few hours to fill prescriptions. Um, and I will tell you, when my dad finally had his own store, it was not open on Sunday. But I remember him sitting there going, and you want to know who will call and need a prescription filled on Sunday? <laughs> and it would be, you know, somebody from church. And, um, but it, I had, I've thought about it so many times over the years, but finally listening to it and hearing it, it was weaponizing religion. Um, and we always knew it was wrong to pick on a six-year-old in a, especially a new kid in church. Uh, and I can only imagine the talk that the minister had with her um, over that. But you know, we, we still see so much, apparently in New York right now, there's, there, the, the state is, is arguing with Chick-fil-A and telling them they need to be open in certain locations on Sunday. But, but you, you know, do you think they're really going after Jewish businesses and telling them they need to be open on the Sabbath? I really doubt it, don't you? I'm sure. Um, so it, it's, it's very interesting to look at this whole issue on working on the Sabbath and how critical we have become as a society about Christians being closed on the Sabbath. I, had, I was in a room one time with Mr. Kathy, and he was talking about uh, the reasons. Well, he's talking about the, 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 the values behind Chick-fil-A. And um, he's a devout. The one now and his father, both devout Christians. You know, but he said they close on Sunday, not for strong religious reasons, but to give their people a day off. Yeah. Everybody needs a day off. Um, even particularly the managers of those places need a day off. Um, yeah, you can weaponize even religion. And, and again, we're control freaks is why we do that. And we let some of these control freaks to government, and the only thing they know to do is to make more laws to try to control more. Because we're control freaks. You know, I mean, my kids are weaning me from my control addiction. You know, um, yeah, we're control freaks. And, uh, Hobby Lobby being closed on Sunday and making it a religious thing, and it's like this is not a hate thing that they close on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Well, just think about what Chick fil A is pretty deep off. If they didn't take a day off, it might not be their pleasure to wait on that. That's right. They need some rest. <laughs> you know, I've learned that you can about cure anything with a computer by rebooting it. And life is sort of like that. You've got to reboot sometimes. That's, that's the spirituality. That's why blue laws. The spirit of Blue Laws was okay. But I remember how I got introduced to Blue Laws because they weren't worth in the city where I came from. I'm younger than some of you. I got introduced to Blue Laws when I moved to a place and I was barely, I was in my early 20s and I was an intern at a church. I was on my way to go lead worship. And of course, as a 20-year-old, you know, E on your gas gauge means enough. Um, I needed gas. And I couldn't get gas to go to church because of blue laws. Now, something was a little weird about that. Now, I should have done it on Saturday. But, yeah, so that, you've got to know how to, and Paul talks about this too, by the way, in 1 Corinthians. You've got to know how to talk about the spirit as opposed to the letter of the law. Because sometimes you've worried about keeping the letter of the law 
You might violate the spirit of the law. If you can keep both, that, that may be okay. That's what blue laws tried to do. But you can end up, because of control and legislation and making stuff easy, and I mean, you, you, you can look at that stuff and evaluate. You have to close on Sundays or you can't close on. That, that's kind of a control thing. But if, if, if you've if you got to violate something, violate the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Quentin. Are there, I mean, this is something maybe for another discussion another day, but I, I wondered if it would be helpful. Um, people wonder why another preacher is listening to another preacher teaching because the other preacher is teaching knows more than the preacher is listening to. So <laughs> you can help me, um, Jeff, if you would. But to maybe offer if there's, uh, let me say it this way and then you can go and correct me if you want. But uh, the parameters of determining what are the spirit of the law? Mm -hmm. Because I think part of the disaffiliation struggle, and, and I just, I'm not asking for a response. Well, I'm yeah, thinking about one. To, to <laughs> um, but anyway, but, but they would say, well, we're, we're violating the spirit of the law. I, I, I know we're not. But it would be helpful, you know, what are the parameters that you determine what the spirit of the law is? And, and, because that, to me, I think, I think the, the idea of what we are as, as independent church, a Methodist church independent, we know, with, I mean, I'm looking at it all around us, and we know what the spirit of the law is because we're doing it. Uh, and I love it. But anyway, I would just thought that might be helpful. It is. Because uh, I, I, it does take some work. Again, it's easier to just, you know, Go by the letter of the law. You don't have to think much, but in this regard, you have to think. When am I violating the letter of the law? And when I'm violating the spirit of the law? Um, so that that's part of the work that it takes for the Christians. It's much easier to be a legalist. Much easier to be a legalist. It, it's much harder to try to always make sure you fulfill the spirit and the morality of the law. And that's why it is, I think, an individual task. So the best I can do is tell you how how I how I think about it. And since I'm going to talk about this 